Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as former ABC journalist, now automotive industry, <laughs> freelance writer and pro- content producer. Once tickled Kerry O'Brien. Yes, I did. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Carol Duncan. Hi, thank you very much for having me on Humans of Twitter. What a treat. Look, it is all our treat, Carol. Please, can you tell us, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Professional bullshit artist. Can I say that on your show? Please. (laughs) I would expect nothing less. Yes. Talks for a living. And what does it mean to be someone that talks for a living in the automotive industry? Well, it's fascinating, actually, because I'm working for now for a national company, um, Mm. which has uh, a lot of automotive retail around Australia, and I'm based in Newcastle in the Hunter Valley. And the challenge for me here is working with a new general manager who really wants to try and stay on the front foot when it comes to what we love to call disruption. I mean, disruption mm. disrupted me right out of a, an ABC <laughs> career. Uh, and so I, I guess now I know what that word actually means, mm. firsthand <laughs> disruption. It, it sounds so naff when you go to all those conferences and people talk about disruption. Oh, yes. Um, so how do we deal with that in the automotive industry? And one of the ways that we hope that we may be able to deal with that is by having Uh, people who work in the automotive industry actually change their reasons for going to work a little bit Mm -hmm. to change all of those stereotypes about, you know, those nasty stereotypes of uh, car salesmen, you know, they're right up there with with journalists, (laughs) (laughs) but it's a really interesting challenge because there are huge changes coming at the automotive industry. We have electric vehicles, of course, we have autonomous vehicles, we have branded car sharing networks, uh, for example, as well. So there are heaps of challenges and do we want to continue in an industry which has the street that I work on, my office is in Tudor Street, Newcastle, and we've got uh, nine major manufacturers that we look after, we retail just on this street. And that is acres and acres and acres and yeah. millions of dollars worth of vehicles. So is that the way of the future? These days, 97% when they're going to buy a car, they do all the research online. You'd be, people don't actually visit car yards much anymore. Yep. Uh, the decisions are all made, they're researched, you know, and, and they, they very much come in and say, I'd like this car here, please. When can you have it for me? But People are scared to come into car yards. I I know that I have found it intimidating, particularly as a woman. God, you go and try and buy a car. Um, It can be a terrifying, horrible thing. You think they're going to be all sharks and shonks and, you know, the the movie Suckers (laughs) comes to mind. And you know what? To some degree in some parts of the industry, perhaps that's still true, although it's improved a lot. So can you imagine what it's like saying, you know, let's get this woman who's been working with a non-commercial publicly funded broadcaster for many years to come in and, well, do lots about marketing and content marketing because they're they're savvy enough about that, Um, but also to try and change the culture within an organisation. And for me here in Newcastle, that's over 500 people who I want to try and find them new reasons for coming to work every day. And I guess 
my experience at that is having to do the same thing myself at the ABC many years ago when it it becomes apparent fairly quickly that no matter um, no not no matter how good a broadcast you may be, there are opportunities to do little bits of of national programming or statewide program. But generally, the the trend towards having good broadcasters host programs uh, is long gone. Now, the change in the the nature of broadcasting, I guess it's long been the way in commercial broadcasting, but now extends to the ABC as well and has increasingly over the last decade or so, is that um, perhaps it's more desirable in that pursuit for survey points Um, to have people who already have an audience. So uh, retired athletes, for example, or comedians or people, personalities, people who already have an audience that the ABC can then hire and and bring in uh, in an effort to uh, retain and and perhaps uh, create, capture new audience as well. And I understand that, but I know that when I... Uh, my redundancy came up as one of the 400 people who left at the end of 2014. Um, I also made the the point to, or tried to make the point to management that you have you are letting go of some really really good broadcasters, and you know I'm old mm. enough now to suggest that maybe I was actually half okay at, at my job. Um, <laughs> so so you know why not give us those opportunities back to actually uh, develop those audiences as well you know you get to a region like Newcastle and and you you hit it's not a glass ceiling because it affects all of us you know there are many frustrated broadcasters in the regional centres this is the the sixth or seventh if you count the the tweed Um, but you know the second largest city in New South Wales we've we've got a significant broadcast area Um, we have really experienced and really wonderful broadcasters and journalists in this city who I think deserve the opportunities to progress to the capital cities. Um, but, you know, that's that's not been... There, there still will be a, a few who sneak through. Um, I sometimes wonder if that's because of who they know rather than, than mm. what they know. Uh, some of them are just amazing people like Lindy Burns, who was here in Newcastle and has been in Melbourne for, for years now. I love Lindy. She's, you know, she's a stellar broadcaster. Um, but, yeah, that, that is a, a, a frustration. So... What I had to do many years ago, just to get back to that point, was knowing that I was stuck here was to, rather than feel bitter and twisted and, and, you know, horribly frustrated by that, find those new things that gave me the meaning to go to work every day. And so I really dug into my community for that. And it was wonderful. So, you know, it, it is the best job in the world. You get to go to work every day. You have a couple of hours with an audience in which there are the things that, you know, you have to do, your news, your politics. Oh sure. my God, I'm so glad that I don't have to. <laughs> oh, Steve, for the first time in 25 years, election schmelection. <laughs> If, you know, I, I am utterly, utterly disillusioned by your double dissolution. Oh, and um, no Ed Polls to have to control how you approach that. I can talk to you about Ed Polls in a minute too if you're interested because I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a firm, firm believer in the aim of the ABC's Ed Polls. Mm. But, yeah, the fact that I don't have to worry about an election for the next 75 days is just bloody brilliant, I tell you. <laughs> Except for that bit where you log into Twitter of a morning and the, the, your clock radio comes on and you get 10 minutes of election, election like okay just stop now so anyway for me it was really digging deep into my community and finding um any of those stories that I could share with the community 
and yes. um, that made it really enjoyable to go to work. You know, as I was saying, you've got the best job in the world. You get to go to work. You know that the stories that you have to do. Other than that, you can do anything that you want as long as you can attempt to make it interesting to people. That's the best job in the world. And and if you're going to work, particularly for the ABC and you're bored or you're not enjoying it as much, go. Go and do something yes. else and let the people who want to be there and who really do enjoy uh, the challenge of of being a part of the community. Um, I am still part of my community, thank God. They've been kind to me and they still ask me to do stuff and play with them and um, I'm, I'm having a ball. I've been very lucky. I know that I have, well, I've also worked incredibly bloody hard, um, mm. but I know that a lot of my, my peers from uh, the 400 um, aren't doing as well. They aren't thriving and that concerns me. You know, I... I'm in a fortunate position now where I need a fair bit of branded content done and I'm able to employ former colleagues who don't necessarily want to put their name to it uh, and what they can't anyway because it's got my new company's brand on it. But the point is that I'm in a, a really privileged position at the moment of being able to offer little bits of work to people in my community. That's a really brilliant feeling. Absolutely. Redundancies are tough at any time particularly for the people being subjected to them. Uh, and in, look, in 2016 now, with news that Fairfax are, are going down this path as well, yeah. the ABC a couple of years ago, you know, that huge round that they went through and possibly even more under, you know, tighter government uh, funding situations. Yeah, possibly more coming. It's it's crazy, the state of media and journalism particularly, mm. because like you intimated before, the, the aim to go from the ABC's perspective to lean on people with uh, a known audience or a known fan base yeah. gives them a bit of a step in. From a journalism point of view, it kind of is like, well, who writes the best clickbait? It, yeah. it just gets depressing, doesn't it? Yeah, look, it does. And again, we come back to this this funny disruption word again mm. where, you know, what does this actually mean? Um at Newcastle, of course, saw the, the closure of the BHP Steelworks about 20 yes. years ago, and people thought it would be the death of the city. That it was, and, and you know, it was the city is is starting to thrive over the last few years. I don't know. Have you had Marcus Westbury on as a human of Twitter yet? Marcus yes. is just a, he's amazing, you know, and I, I reckon he's in large part responsible for the way that this city is revitalising. Uh, but people thought that the, the closure of BHP was end times, you know, mm. and it was very difficult for many thousands of people and, you know, hundreds of families. Um, and there there were some very serious ramifications for, um, for, for some families whose redundant family members uh, didn't make it through the difficulties, which is mm. my nice way of saying that we actually had some, a, a, a handful of lives lost. Um, so it is really awful if it's not handled incredibly well, and even then it's still awful. Um, but if I'm looking at media at the moment, I, and, and I'm in a position here with this company where I, I'm building a, our own in-house marketing department. So this company has decided to move away from the traditional full-service agency model and yeah. bring it in-house. So, you know, they have me. I'm a content person and, you know, maybe I can help with the culture and the mojo and all that sort of stuff. But I'm on a steep, steep learning curve. But having a ball, I absolutely love it. Um, but it does mean that your traditional full-service advertising agencies, what are they doing to prepare themselves for the fact that there are more companies of a reasonable size doing what we're yeah. doing 
because, you know, the costs that we're going to have in building this department compared to the commercial costs of the way that we have always done, particularly traditional advertising. When I came in here and I saw how much they'd spent last year, it was I just laughed. It was, you know, particularly for a kid from the ABC who <laughs> you have to ask really nicely to buy a packet of Post-it notes. It was like, oh, my God, <laughs> how, you, you spend what? Yeah. Um, and not that it's luxurious, but it is compared to, you know, when you are responsible for the Australian taxpayers' money and, and, you know, you're being accountable for that. I'm now accountable to a different type of shareholder and stakeholder in this this company. So, yeah, that disruption thing is a really interesting thing. It amazes me that we are still seeing uh, some of the daily newspapers hanging on because it's only yep. a matter of time, surely. What, yes. what, what is the point of that? I'll be sad when they go because newspaper still comes in handy for little bonfires in my backyard and... <laughs> You know, yes. <laughs> stuff like that. Where will we get our cheap wrapping paper? Yes, yes, indeed. Where will we? Um, I don't know. That's a really good question, isn't it? I could name you a brand of toilet paper, <laughs> Steve, but, you know. Um, but, yeah, the disruption thing is a really interesting thing. As I mentioned, I'm now able to occasionally employ people that I know to mm. do bits of work for me and including... Uh, graphic design and a couple of weeks ago I was having a look at Freelancer which is a a, um, uh, a site through which you can employ freelancers, writers, photographers, designers, yes. particularly design and I've sort of, I've had a vague look at it before and thought that 95% of it is probably exploitative uh, labour and you know graphic designers using terrible templates and things like that but it's not it's not completely that at all uh, and it started when I actually wanted some ideas on, on – I didn't want a piece of design work done. I actually just wanted a piece of thinking done because I'm so busy thinking about all of the things that I have to do here with 22 businesses uh, that thinking about what I'm to do with what will essentially be a motivational visual trigger within the organisation was just another thing I didn't have time for. So I outsourced it on Freelancer <laughs> to get some people to, to look at this thing and say, how would you bring this to life in a workplace? Just this very – it's an ellipsis, you know, the three dots. How would you use this? And that started a fight on Twitter about Dunksy, it's spec work, it's terrible, you're destroying the graphic design industry and so on. And I just thought, you know, it, it is it is a really interesting and potentially horrible time for many people in many industries and, you know, everything is up in the air at the moment and where it's yeah. all going to land, I have absolutely no idea. But one of the people who, who was, you know, discussing it with me and, and critical of it, mm -hmm. and understandably so, um, is someone that I've also been able to give a bit of employment at full rate to. Um, and I, I just said, you know, okay, it is awful, awful. I don't necessarily support the way that this is going, but like Airbnb and like Uber, uh, you know, this this is going to be the the disruption in your industry of yeah. graphic design. How are you best preparing for that? So I think that over the last seven or eight years, I best prepared myself for the disruption in media by becoming digitally literate in particular. It, it's so important because you're right, there are so many... Let's continue the, disrupt, the disruption talk. There are so many industries being affected right now by what in and of themselves aren't necessarily radical ideas, 
but new ideas yep. that change the shape in the way they work. Yep, yep, indeed. And right down to, you know, Uber and the car sharing thing is, is one thing. The mm. payments model on Uber is absolutely fascinating. Uh, and it's, yeah. you know, you, you hop into your Uber, you get home and, you know, you say, thank you very much, see you later. And there is no, the transaction is invisible and seamless. Um, so there is, you know, that that's a thing. I have a wonderful app on, can we mention brand names on your show, Steve? Absolutely, I'm not the ABC. <laughs> I have a wonderful little investment, a micro investment app on my phone that I've had there now for about three or four months since they mm. launched an organisation called Acorns, who I think actually yes. came out of Sydney, certainly out of Australia. And what it does is you hook it up to your bank account and every time you do a debit transaction through your whichever your transaction account, it rounds it up to the next dollar. So if you spend $9.75, it takes the yes. 25 cents and then it invests it for you. And it happens, you know, it's the shrapnel that you're used to collect in your pocket or in the console of your car or in the bottom of your handbag, as I used to call it, digging around in there, digging for gold, looking for the gold coins. So it's the bank account equivalent of taking all of those bits of shrapnel and then just automatically investing them for you. And I've been in there for... Um, uh, this year, I've, I've had started mine on, on January 1. And I don't know, I've got about $400 there. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> but, you know, that's for, for people previously, if you wanted to start a little investment account of some sort, you needed to have a minimum of, I don't know, the minimum Comsec transaction, for example, I think is $500. Or if yeah. you wanted to buy into some sort of fund, maybe you needed a minimum of $2,000. Um, whereas this just takes your small change and by sharing it with lots of people enables you to invest on a micro level. I think that's brilliant. And I've actually been trying to get a, um, a well-known financial advising economist friend of mine to, to comment on it and write a blog on it that so far is ignoring me. But I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> so I don't need you anymore. Look at this. Yeah, that's such a great idea. I will offer as the father of uh, two preteens that I have no silver. Uh, mm. because the place where we put it, it's never there long enough. Yeah. Uh, finds homes elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get that because, some, you know, when you go to, mine are 13 and 14, and you'll go to the shops for something, and yep. one of them will say, can I come too? Well, what do you want? I don't know. I just want to spend my money. What do you mean your money? Where do you get money from? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You get money from your mother and your father, kiddo. Yeah, your money. Yeah, gosh. yeah kids these days disrupting the idea of anyway oh well yeah they're disruptive enough you know i wonder what's going to disrupt our kids lives steve isn't that deep it, i shudder at the thought quite seriously both of mine were born this millennium mm. and barely know cds yeah one of mine actually said to me a couple of weeks ago hey mom i said yeah he said are there any photos of you as a baby in color yeah, you'll be lucky to make 14 that boy. <laughs> uh, he might be a little bit too much like his mother, that one. But you know, you know, they do things like that and you're secretly very proud. Oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah, like the big brother when he was at school many years ago and he's the sweet, nerdy, geeky um, kid yes. that everybody hated because he liked classical music and so on. And one of his teachers found him underneath a, a pile of kids uh, and just from underneath, and you, you can beep this later if you need to, Steve, but all she could hear was him yelling out, Get off me, you motherfuckers! 
<laughs> and when she was telling me the story, she was just so proud of him. But um, she's a very interesting teacher, actually. Can we digress for a moment? I want Please. to tell you about Carrie because Carrie was for the boys. Uh, and this was, you know, third, fourth, fifth class, so primary school. Yeah. An incredible influence on their lives. A, a activist, greeny, um, uh, very socially aware woman who, uh, you know how you raise your kids with that, you know, darling, never get yourself arrested. The worst thing that could possibly happen is that, well, you're killing yourself in a car accident, but, you know, getting arrested, you've got to be a good law-abiding citizen and don't do yeah. anything where you might get arrested, right? So you worry about that for years. And then all of a sudden, Carrie, um, she chained herself to some fig trees in Lehman Street here in Newcastle and got herself right. arrested. Excellent. <laughs> Mummy. Yes, darlings. Uh, well, Carrie's been arrested. <laughs> um, okay, well, look, let's just sit down and talk about this because you know how Mummy says that, you know, you, you just want to make sure you never get yourself arrested because you have to obey the law and everything. Uh-huh. Well, sometimes there's, mm-hmm. you know, there are situations and circumstances in which it's really important for you to stand up for the things that you believe in and on those occasions, maybe I'm not saying that getting yourself arrested is okay, but, you know, maybe it just kind of is. So Carrie gave the boys a really important life lesson, I think, in thinking about what's important and what they care about and defending it. I think that's that's a great lesson from a teacher. Yes, absolutely. And, and I... I've always been a goody two-shoes, Carol. I I got that same kind of lecture from my parents and at this point haven't had to lecture my kids too greatly <laughs> that apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. Uh-huh. Um, well, you're telling me you're a good kid. Oh, yeah, absolutely, gosh. <laughs> not, that I, not, yeah, not that I haven't protested or gone and waved a banner or those sorts of things, mm. but certainly as I've aged, it's like, well, it's it's fine for people to... We're we lucky to live in a, a country where people can go and express... Their past. opinions and rally and, and chant and shout about things. Sometimes, no matter how abhorrent they may be, they mm. fortunately have the chance to do that. Kids, if you get that passionate about something, sure, Dad will drive you there and I'll sit in the car or if you want me to stand next to you. that Or if Dad thinks he needs to stand next to you, mm. he will. Uh, but it's just a, a, an interesting scenario that we see, we see so little civil disobedience in ways other than students, uh, you know, the, the the news piece leading into the vision where students today threw eggs at the Prime Minister, blah, 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 or the Education Minister, or we yeah. don't tend to see it otherwise. Maybe a union strike? See, I've been pondering this for years, actually, Steve, the fact that, you know, we, we I don't have we just become really apathetic or, you know, is there, there something in the, the water or... Isn't there an app for that? Yes, there? Well, yeah, clicktivism is its whole other thing. Look, I've changed my Facebook status, therefore I have said something and made a contribution. Here's my um, twibbon. Yeah, here's my, here's my twibbon. And we, we, we watch this on Twitter all the time, of course, people getting themselves in a, a knot in the latest outrage and so on. I've, I, yes. I don't... Yeah, I think I avoid a lot of that in my timeline, actually. I think mostly my timeline is made of, of people who engage and they've got things that they get the shits about, but, you know, they actually do mostly try to do useful things about it. But I have wondered what exactly it will take for Australians to take to the streets. Again, you know, pitchforks, flaming torches, all that sort of shit. What's it actually going to take for us to get that 
upset about something. Will will it be the much vaunted marriage equality plebiscite? I don't know. See, I'd do a nudie run for that any time. Yeah, the world doesn't have enough soap to wash their eyeballs off if I was to do it, but I appreciate those that could. Oh, me, um, that, but, you know, that isn't that kind of... Who cares? Just, you know, nudie runs for marriage equality. <laughs> be we so can, great. We, we can start that here. Yeah, we could. We could nudie runs for marriage equality. I'll be in the, Actually, I was interviewing... Um, see, because I still get to play with people. It's wonderful. I was inter- <laughs> <laughs> interviewing the glorious Australian author Tom Keneally on the weekend at, yes. um, at a live event, which was just hilarious because he's such a rat bag. Yes. And um, he was saying that what he would like to see Australia have is, you know, we were talking about Indigenous issues and so on um, with the, the next lot of books that he's working on. And he said, you know, when, when white men were, Europeans were sailing up the coast and um, Captain Innes or whoever he was came charging in through Port Macquarie or Captain Cook was sailing past, there were undoubtedly some local Indigenous people there saying, go to Buggery. And so Tom decided on the spot that we need to have a national go to Buggery day. And I, I think I'm with Tom Keneally on that. Yep. But I don't know what sort of twibbon that might involve. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a brown one? I'm, I'm not sure. Oh, 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 Stephen, stop that. <laughs> Heavens above. But, yeah, I, I think that would be quite apt, wouldn't it? Go to Absolutely. both Absolutely. Well, there's, there, there's another possibility of, uh, you know, what might force the public into, to, you know, stamping out or marching out and, and making a call, the conversation around what is and isn't appropriate around Australia Day. Mm. Uh, because that continues to spin in a way that it's only really in the last, what, 20 years that it's it's become this massive day of nat- national patriotism that has very quickly been hijacked. Yeah. Uh, and it's anything but that for our Indigenous brothers and sisters, yet we persist. Yeah, this is one of the things we were chatting about on the weekend with with Mr Keneally in that, you know, when I was a kid, because I'm 700 years old now, Steve, but when I was a kid, we learned about Captain Arthur Phillip and the manly men of Manly, which is why Manly was called Manly. I grew up in Manly. And, um, you know, Captain Cook, and it was all very spears and what have you, we didn't learn anything about massacres. We didn't learn about anything in the context of invasion. We didn't learn about poisoned drinking wells. We didn't learn Mm. about the Mile Massacre. We didn't learn... That was all news to me. I didn't start learning about those things until I was an adult. So I often think about how confronting that must be for my parents' and my grandparents' generation. Um, who who were you know given even drank even more Kool Aid than I my generation did as children. My kids are growing up much more aware and um, and much more uh, well. What's the word? And that tolerance is a terrible word. I hate the word tolerant. Mm-hmm. It means you're just putting up with something. My children are embracing our indigenous history. You know they know a lot of the stories about the Newcastle region, for example, which has an incredible. Uh, ancient, ancient history that has, you know, a, a tiny dot of European history whacked on top somewhere. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that my kids are, are learning very, very different things. When I, I think about my own education in Australian uh, Aboriginal history, it's embarrassing, really. It, it's also of the time, though, I think. I mean, I, I was... 
in early primary school in the late 70s. And while I, I understood what an Aborigine was uh, in context, we got the very white mm. sanitised version of, of Australian history, no question. Yeah. But we touched on, you know, some of the local culture and those sorts of things. I look at what my kids are getting and there's a really strong, uh, proud Indigenous connection in that there's intentional modules. Let's go to the local Aboriginal, uh, the Indigenous Cultural Centre and learn about the local peoples and learn about their language and the way they lived life before all of these houses and things were here. Yeah, it's yes, exactly. It's funny growing up. It's something I've been aware of growing up as a, I don't know, seventh, eighth generation skippy chick um, <laughs> is that, you know, I'm, my family were Scottish and German and Irish, you know, we were of that mob. And you kind of, when you, you've been transplanted somewhere else for such a long time, I actually think you become in many ways culture-less. I mean, people would say that about me in the worst possible ways anyway. But do you know what I mean? It's like I, I always I have so much admiration and envy for, you know, people who do come from a rich European history and who have a language or they have a, a, a food or family traditions or community behaviours, for example, that in Australia we're just so white bread, you know. We really, yep. we really, really are just so white bread. And I, I, I am so envious sometimes of those particularly family and cultural ties and connections that so many other people have. And yet, you know, that could have all been ours in Australia with our Indigenous people and the way that they uh, live within their family groups and community groups and the importance that they put on that and the importance that they put on those relationships. Um, you know, we've, we've buggered that up for a lot mm. of them, um, but goodness me, we've also missed out on a whole other way of living our own lives. Yeah. Well, I come from Polish-German stock, so I have the feeling that if there's ever something that's been wrong in history, I'm somehow to blame. Mm. Uh, and I've taken that on pretty squarely. Uh, I, I think, though, as a flip side, Carol, that given... And it does wane, and, and this touches a bit on our current approach to uh, asylum seekers and those sorts of things, yeah. but we are... Yeah, it's it's going to quickly become a three-hour podcast. Uh. Um, I, I think that we are, as a nation building a new culture and a, and a history um, with the people that have come here. You know, we look at just food culture in Australia and it is on the world stage, some of the best that goes around and it's drawing from, you know, rich and deep uh, food heritages hmm. of the people that are here, whether it's Chinese influenced, Malaysian influenced, Indonesian influenced, Indian, uh, Pakistani, Sri Lankan, the Americas, South American, Europe. We, we've got all of those flavours here mm. and we don't see that in a lot of other countries. No, and we, we have become fearful of a lot of it here, which I find yeah. incredibly sad. A friend of mine is a Congolese refugee, mm. a wonderful man. Who's, he was actually in different refugee camps in uh, Africa uh, for all up, I guess, about 20 years after his father was killed after the Rwandan massacre. And um, he's now, he's been here for a few years and his family are now all here with him. Uh, the most recently arrived ones, I think, only got here a couple of years ago. He's finished his degree um, at the University of Newcastle. He can't get work in Newcastle or he got work at, you know, the local chicken factory for a little while. Um, just the most 
the most amazing man, beautiful, warm-hearted man who I just love to bits. He's hilarious. Um, the kids are, are thriving in Australia, but you know, he he would be the last one to criticise Australia and Australians. Um, but I know that the reason that he finds it difficult to get work or to find accommodation for his family of 12 <laughs> is because they're dark-skinned people. And that's incredibly sad. It's horrible is mm. what it is. Mm. And I know that we have struggled in the past as a nation to, to deal with people with different coloured skin. We, hmm. we don't have a great history in that. However, we have had times where through excellent leadership and a broader community acceptance, we've kind of gone, you know what? That's minority. Hmm. On the whole, let's make this happen. Yeah. And I think it was, it was probably... That, though. Yeah, it was probably one of the, the last pieces of political cooperation between Malcolm Fraser and Gough Whitlam in mm. the, the 70s, 40 years, 41 years ago this year. Uh, and that was Operation Babylift, of course, when you know yeah. they sent planes to Southeast Asia to bring people out of terror, to bring people out of a war zone. And I can remember chatting with um, Malcolm Fraser about that not long before he passed away, the, the early last year. Um, and, and because it was that that 40th anniversary, and thinking, wow, we've we've come a long way backwards from that point, isn't it? When we would actually go and bring people to safety. Yeah, now when they're coming knocking, we're saying over there, please. We're saying go to Bagri. Yeah, God. Yeah. Anyway, what a, a ray of sunshine this conversation has been so far. Oh no, me. let's cheer this up. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Newcastle, Steve. It is absolutely lovely. Um, and I don't know. You know what gives me hope? My what? kids, because you know how every generation is always. Oh, it was better in my day. It was all. Oh, everything was better in my day. <laughs> kids today, little bastards. You know they're greedy. They're selfish, and you know I reckon this crop of millennials that are coming up. Um, and I'm not saying this just because two of them are mine and some mm. of them are yours, but because they are growing up. Perhaps it is because of you know the internet and social media. They are growing up much more cognizant and understanding of these issues, yes. whether it's our indigenous people or it's refugee people or it's injustice, um, economic injustice or uh, inequality. You know they're 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 growing up knowing a million percent more about all of those issues than I did as a kid. And I have great hope in our millennials. I think they are going to be extraordinary people. And by the time they're in charge in 20 or 30 years, I hope I live to see it. I'm trying, mm. but I think um, I, I have great hope in there. If we don't totally root the planet before they get there, and I have my <laughs> concerns about that, but, um, you know, should, should we be able to hang on until they're in charge? I think we just might be okay. Yeah, I, I agree, Carol, and I think that, well, certainly with people like you and, and people with your heart, you know, in front of them and encourage them and pointing them in the right direction, we are all for the better because of it. You know what? I try not to actually interfere with the boys' ideas very much at all because they've grown up in a news-consuming household. You know, their father is a, sure. a, a politics-consuming research scientist and then they have their mother who, you know, this is their mother. Um, <laughs> but we, we have, regardless of our own political meetings, have always tried to say to the boys, you know, this is what we think, but 
as you grow up, we really want you to think about what matters to you, what's important yeah. to you, and and be active in those areas, you know. And we have tried to raise the kids to understand, and I, particularly through my job where, you know, I have known and interviewed and count amongst my friends politicians of every particular flavour in the country. Um, and I have always tried to raise the kids to understand that politics is not passive or it shouldn't be. Politics uh, and policy should not be things that you just let happen to you, that you have to in some way be involved, even if it is as simple as making sure that you uh, enrol to vote, that you change your address on the electoral roll, that you talk about things with your friends and your peers and your family. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if your opinions are different to mine or the things that you um, prioritise are different to mine. At least think about it and be active in it. Don't just let it happen to you. I think that's really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Carol, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Oh, gosh. Um, hell of a lot. I'm hoping to introduce a huge cultural change within this organisation that I work with now. You know, it's 500 incredible people who work in an industry that is foreign to me, that is subjected to really horrible stereotypes. And as I mentioned right at the start, trying to find new reasons for these people, uh, right from senior management to the guys who keep the cars and the yards clean, you know, to find that meaning to come to work, which is all about our customers, or when it was the ABC, it was about our listeners, mm -hmm. um, to try to find the reasons for them to do that. Because I couldn't care, I couldn't sell a car to save myself. I'm not interested <laughs> in selling cars. That's not. Although we do have very nice Mustang uh, in at the moment, Steve. If you're interested, I yeah, I can get you a red one or a black. One. Anyway, um, I find the challenge of that. You know, if I can. If I can cre help create an environment here where, and this is a good company with a really good solid history, it's 82 years old this year, um, but if I can start to create a feeling within the company and within our community of um, uh, this becoming an employer of choice, you know, yes. so that people would say, I want to work at Clusters, and people will say, well, good luck with that and join the queue. Or <laughs> as our new GM, who was the reason I said I'd come here, because he's, he's a really interesting guy. I just love running around in his, his mind. I think he's, he's quite a genius. But as he says as well, you know, if we weren't here, would our community miss us? Yep. I need the answer to be yes. Yeah. So, that's such an important thing that is often overlooked by businesses, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not interested in selling you anything at all. That's not why I'm here. Um, but if we if we get all of those other things right, that's that's a great day at work for me. That's really good. Yeah. That's that's so great. I'll talk to you off here about the Mustang. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to get a loan of it in a couple of weekends, Steve. Oh. It's an 18 month waiting list at the moment for a car. Oh, that's that's crazy. insane. It's crazy. Oh, it's, it's pretty. It's not quite the uh, the Tesla new thing that those guys dropped two tweets and a what, $40 billion worth of orders or something crazy. Yeah, see, there you go. Disruption. Yeah, outrageously cool. Disruption. Hey, Carol, mm. thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. But we, we have barely scraped the circus. The circus. Wow. <laughs> Here's a second. I've been the scraping circus. the circus my whole life, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> that was almost Freudian. Um, <laughs> 
really appreciate your time. I want you to know the things you've said today are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, and thank you for sharing people's stories. You know, this is what we as storytellers do and um, we need our storytellers. Yeah, I'm doing my best. Uh, just a reminder, people, uh, hashtag nude run for marriage equality. Get involved. <laughs> tweet uh, PG-rated pics so that we can share them openly or uh, whatever. Just whatever you get your gear off, go and do it. Um, we're we're right behind it, hundred percent. Yes, yes, it might need the not safe for work one, but anyway, <laughs> that's right. Extra extra hashtag if you do see bits that normally aren't outside. Yeah, uh, Carol, you are very clearly on the Twitter. Are there any other social accounts that you want to admit nay promote? Um, look, no, I'm I'm a a little bit of facey um, and a little bit of Insta, but I'm I'm really a Twitter person, and I know a lot of people have been suggesting, you know, that the uh, Twitter is not what it used to be. But I believe that you build your community around you, so um, mm-hmm. you know everybody finds their tribe somewhere. I love my Twitter tribe. This has been humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Carol Duncan is indeed human. Most days. <laughs>